0: Hello and welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. Today, we are continuing on our green mini-series and looking at greenhouse gas emissions. Um, greenhouse gas emissions and ways to reduce them are a big area of focus politically and socially at the moment, but that also have printing implications. I'm sure you've all heard about the various announcements coming from COP26 on the need to keep increases in temperature down. And one of the main ways of doing that is by reducing emissions or by capturing and storing them. But how is that actually going to happen? In today's podcast, we're going to focus specifically on carbon emissions, the pricing of them, and of course, the potential financial reporting implications of that. So with me today, I've got Claire Howells and Tom Bullock here to help me. Claire is one of our energy and mining accounting specialists, supporting audit teams on this topic and many other areas as well. And Tom is a commodity trading specialist, focusing on the carbon markets and ESG reporting more widely. So, welcome, Claire and Tom. Thanks,
1: Andrea. <laughs> yeah.
0: Tom, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, why is carbon pricing important?
1: Hi, Andrea, and thanks so much for having me here today. Fundamentally because, as part of the Paris Agreement, which was adopted at COP21 back in 2015, countries came together and agreed that a market-based mechanism to price carbon would play a key role in cost-effectively managing and reducing global greenhouse emissions.
0: And how did they look to achieve that market-based mechanism? This is where it gets techy, isn't it?
1: It is a bit techy, but um, following much negotiation, they laid this out in Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. This contained two key paragraphs, both relating to the carbon markets. Article 6.2 provided a common carbon accounting framework. So not a financial accounting framework, but for the actual underlying emissions themselves. This would enable international cooperation. So this is designed to enable the linkage of different schemes, for example, uh, linking the EU cap and trade programme with emission reduction transfers from Switzerland. Article 6.4 allows for this international trading of carbon emissions to help achieve the emission reduction targets. It established a central UN mechanism to to, to trade credits from emission reductions generated through specific projects. So, for example, one country could pay for another country to build a wind farm instead of a coal plant. Emissions get reduced. The second country benefits from the clean energy and the first country gets the carbon credits for the reductions. So that's
0: two paragraphs with a big impact. But what's happened actually since that was
2: written? So historically, there's been some developments in the wider carbon markets, but it's only very recently they've started to gain wider awareness from the public. Um, Interest is booming at the moment, driven in a large part by the price rises, as well as climate change more generally. Uh, Prices for EU compliance certificates were below $20 last year, but they recently peaked peaked at $70, so not a surprise that um, the market in that area is, is increasing and, and volatile. Um, PwC works with IETA, the International Emissions Trading Association. We produce an annual greenhouse gases report sentiment report. It's a great source of further information on the underlying market dynamics. It also looks at where the price might go in the future.
0: Okay, so you're saying carbon pricing is important because it provides a mechanism for countries to reduce overall greenhouse gas emissions, and this report will be put into the talking points. So if anyone wants to find it, they can find the link there as well. Um, but let's let's look at how all of this impacts companies themselves.
1: Yes, so albeit the application mm-hmm. of carbon pricing and the implementation of the Paris Agreement were set at the governmental level, the outcome of this impacts companies very widely. The carbon markets take two forms at the moment, um, and it will fall to the companies to, to deal in these. So compliance and voluntary. There is an increasing number of compliance schemes which have been established globally. The largest to date has been the EU emissions trading scheme, known as the EU ETS, but China's national carbon trading scheme came online in July this year, Uh, and will eclipse the EU scheme by volume. Mm -hmm. So these compliance emissions trading schemes all work on the cap and trade principle. So a cap is set on the total amount of certain greenhouse gases, be that carbon dioxide, methane, et cetera, that can be emitted by the sectors covered by the scheme. This limits the total amount of carbon that can be emitted. And as a result, drives that supply and demand balance and drives the underlying price of the certificates as well. Okay.
0: And what about the voluntary market you mentioned?
1: So, the voluntary market is a very different beast. Um, and as the name suggests, participants take part in this at their own discretion. Mm-hmm. There are generally two types of voluntary schemes, if we try and separate it out. You've got reduction schemes, which cut emissions by preventing the emissions in the first place or improving processes. For example, introducing more efficient cooking stoves, developing renewal projects, etc. The second type is a removal project. These directly absorb or eliminate greenhouse gases, and they can either be nature-based, so reforestation, or technology-based, such as carbon capture and storage solutions.
0: Okay, and do these two schemes have very different participants, or is it the same people who do them?
1: The helpful answer is yes and no.
2: So if we start perhaps with the compliance market, certain emitters of greenhouse gases are captured by the compliance emissions trading schemes or pollutant pricing mechanisms in their own country. For example, energy intensive industries, power generators, and the aviation industry are caught by the EU and the UK schemes, Um, Mm -hmm. and entities in those industries are required to submit certified certificates to the government each year to cover a certain volume of emissions. Other countries have similar arrangements. Companies are allocated a certain number of certificates, but the amount of those free certificates is reducing each year as part of the drive across the world towards net zero. So, as Tom noted, the volume of certificates available limited, which is creating a bigger market for them on the one side, but also means there's an incentive to reduce emissions to avoid the need to buy certificates on the market, sometimes at a very high price. You'll also have other participants in the compliance scheme. You know, those are the, I might call them the dirty companies, the, the big greenhouse gas emitters. On the other hand, you might have wind farms that we think of as, you know, green energy companies, they may generate additional certificates and be able to sell them directly to companies who have an emissions liability, who create the market for various types of emission certificates. Some of these markets are of course more liquid than others.
1: Yes, and actually very interestingly in the wider market we've seen that following this recent volatility and trend of increasing prices, we understand that even international hedge funds are now getting involved in these certificate markets. Clearly they have absolutely no interest in the certificate itself but there's money to be made so they are entering that market.
0: So they're just seeing it as a purely tradable thing, they're not actually interested in what it is it's covering?
1: Yeah precisely, which is driving the the market dynamics away from the, the historic fundamentals.
0: Okay, can you tell me a little bit more about the voluntary market then?
2: Yeah, of course. So the monetary market's also interesting, but it's much less well-established. Unsurprisingly, as part of the overall net zero or carbon neutral strategies that many companies are publishing at the moment, they want or need to be able to demonstrate action in this area. Uh, And we've seen all sorts of industries getting involved from retailers to pharmaceutical companies to the fashion industry, but not our pure power generators, for example. Okay, so why do they do this? Well, companies have got a social and moral obligation at the moment to reduce their carbon imprint. So the main participants or many will be the end users here those companies that want to be able to support their public net zero or carbon offset statements there's also broker traders again they'll provide a link between the end user and the carbon offset project and in the voluntary market the other participant is the the project developer themselves so the company managing the reforestation creating the carbon storage base or or investing in a relevant renewable energy project so lots of different participants all with a very different role to play.
0: So this is IFRS Talks after all. So let's talk about the reporting. I suppose we should look at the compliance schemes and the voluntary schemes differently. Um, so let's talk about the compliance schemes first. How do we actually account for these? And I think this one is coming to you Claire.
2: That would make sense after all. I, I'm the techie accounting person on this podcast. Uh, you would imagine that as the compliance schemes have been around for longer, the accounting for these would be more established as previously discussed with, with Scott Bandura on an earlier podcast episode, I think it was episode 100, a nice round number. Um, this isn't yet the case. So there was an IFRIC interpretation, IFRIC 3, but that was to, withdrawn in 2005 before it even became effective and, and never replaced. And therefore the accounting for the compliance schemes remains inconsistently applied and, and there's real diversity in practice won't go into lots of detail on the accounting for that today, as we dealt with it in the previous podcast, but I would like to plug a recently released PwC and IETA publication called um, Emissions Trading Systems, The Opportunities Ahead. Um, I'd really recommend reading it. It's, it's an easy read and it explains the background on the compliance schemes much
1: more detailed than we've got time for today. Okay,
0: we'll <laughs> put the link in the notes. And what about the voluntary schemes?
1: So. Concentrating on the voluntary schemes is, is important because although the current market for these is, is still relatively small, it's only about half a billion US dollars. Some research from Barclays estimates that the voluntary carbon offset market is set to grow about 30 percent year on year to reach 250 billion dollars by 2030 and potentially some trillion dollars by 2050. Big numbers. The fact that this is gonna garner increased attention became very, very clear following COP26 and the light that it shone on the subject. And based on the conversations I've been holding across the industry, people are really concerned that a lack of standardization limits transparency and comparability. And we've had lots of people asking us questions around that with the specifics of the carbon market. You might've heard about the task force on scaling the voluntary market. It launched by the UN climate envoy, Mark Carney. And various other schemes which are working to reduce this lack of standardisation in carbon accounting, pricing, and reporting. And actually, a very quick plug from me. Hopefully, at the end of November, early December, by the time you're listening to this, we should have a, a report out on on the impact of, of this uh, within the sort of trading market.
0: Okay, lots going on then. OK, so I, I think um, I'm sure that companies are providing lots of information on lots of initiatives and whatever obligations they are in their strategic report or the MDNA. And and we have covered in some of the previous podcasts about the um, disclosures that are required and how important it is that there's consistency between the front half and the back half um, of financial statements. Um, but, you know, this is IFRS Talks after all. So can we talk a little bit about... we should actually account for these things in financial statements and I think this one's coming to you Claire.
2: Indeed, so although the Paris, Paris Agreement that we mentioned earlier introduced a carbon accounting framework, there are currently no financial accounting standards specifically targeted at either the compliance or voluntary schemes. Accounting for voluntary schemes and certificates is unsurprisingly even less well understood and developed than for the compliance ones, not least because there's such a wide variety of initiatives underway. So, different considerations and some very different views emerging on the most appropriate accounting treatment that the various market participants should adopt around recognition, balance sheet classification, valuation and eventual P&L impact. So if we follow the value chain, the generation of certificates via eligible primary projects requires an assessment of the timing, volume and pricing of initial recognition certificates before moving on to the accounting at the later stages. So companies that directly purchase or invest in the assets using an offset programme e.g. planting trees for reforestation, building a methane gas capture facility at a landfill, should consider what type of asset they have or whether they even control the assets at all. For example, they might own the underlying infrastructure or biological assets, but not the right to the carbon credits or certificates. Moving on to the end user, practices evolving. Some companies believe that subject to any future accounting developments, purchase carbon offsets meet the definition of an intangible and could be classified as such Others would look to the accounting commonly used for allowances purchased under compliance regime and record as inventory, if held for use or sale, or an intangible asset if held for use. Yet others would say that the cost should be expensed immediately and do not create an asset, particularly where a company's public announcements or those of the local regulator create an expectation and therefore an immediate constructive obligation to pay for offset current emissions.
0: So it sounds like there's a wide variety of treatments then?
2: That's right. And that wide variety and lack of consistency means that any or all of the above could be the right answer, depending on the circumstances. I'd usually say the approach selected should be applied consistently, be reasonable based on the intended use and be properly disclosed. But in the case of the voluntary carbon offset market, I'd add that companies should have regard for actions from the ISB, from local regulators and from their peers.
0: So is there much action from the ISB in this
2: area then? Well, the IFRIC we have actually just discussed a submission about the accounting for negative carbon credits by a car manufacturer. Their preliminary conclusion is that the terms of that particular arrangement would result in the entity, a car manufacturer, having to provide for the expected cost of green credits. As in their case, they have a legal and a constructive obligation from their activities. These conclusions could have wider implications for other entities depending on the specific facts and circumstances of their arrangements.
0: And we've already talked about this issue in Karsten's IFIC update podcast last time, Um, so I can see that the accounting isn't entirely straightforward. Uh, Do you have any more complications for those end users to think about?
2: Yes, there's a big timing question about these transactions. Many companies are buying into carbon offset projects, for example, reforestation plans now as a way to demonstrate that they're serious about their carbon neutral claims. But of course the related seedlings are not yet large enough to actually absorb much carbon and therefore be eligible for carbon certificates so at this stage the company may be acting in more of an investor role as with many alternative financing structures the accounting for these can be complex this could be seen simply as a prepayment for future certificates a more executory type contract on the other hand depending on the exact terms of the arrangement it might be more appropriate to classify any current payment as a loan some sort of partnership or equity investment and just a side point on reporting for these early stage projects the investment shouldn't be claiming the interest actually offsets their current emissions yet although they're clearly doing the right thing for the planet
1: within my world on the other hand uh, a broker trader or middleman might record their interest as inventory at cost or fair value taking the broker trader exemption depending on the liquidity of the market the challenges for them are similar to those for compliance schemes, in particular, the ability to calculate a fair market value. Another consideration is when a carbon offset is actually used, and therefore mm. retired, and so it's taken off the books. So this is the process where a user actually uses that certificate to offset a historic carbon emission. And at that point, clearly the certificate has to be taken out of circulation, otherwise you could do get accused of greenwashing. Um, and obviously, from a wider non-financial assurance perspective, one of the main challenges is knowing what the certificates relate to and when they're actually being used or retired and ensuring that that happens. As I say, there's a significant risk of greenwashing at the moment with multiple companies attempting to declare that they're using the same certificates. And It's been a historic problem that the, the market is trying to address.
2: So
0: it brings new meaning to double counting then, I
2: guess. That's absolutely the risk. But assuming the company and their auditors can get over the hurdle of who actually owns the rights to the certificates or the offset and can recognise an asset in the first place, um, then common practice is that when that carbon offset is retired with the appropriate regulated agency, it will be expensed through the PL when the company applies it to its net zero goals, i.e. when that offset is surrendered. At the moment, the carbon offset asset is not typically amortised, as I think, the majority of companies would say it retains its value until it's been used or retired.
0: Right. So it's, it's a bit like a gift voucher showing you, you've got it until you use it. And when you've used it,
2: it's gone. Perfect example.
0: So you've said there's no accounting standard at the moment specifically covering either these markets, um, although you've mentioned a few places where they might be. Um, some relevance. What do you see in the future? What, what will there be? In, uh, will there be an accounting standard that covers this?
2: I'm certainly hoping so. <laughs> and the challenge for the companies at the moment and their audits is just how to make sure that accounting in the financial statements or in the back half, as we often call it in the UK, reflects the public announcements made in the front half or in the MDNA. and there is some good news on the horizon. There's lots of regulatory and other projects looking at simplifying and standardizing the schemes which will certainly help us to put an accounting framework in place Uh, the recently created issb is going to be looking at such schemes and then going back to the accounting perspective the isb has recently received comments back from their third agenda consultation so some preliminary discussions took place in mid-november And it was clear that projects on climate related risks and what the ISB called pollutant pricing mechanisms were high up the priority list for a lot of responders. The ISB received 122 responses across a wide range of interested parties. So I'm hopeful we'll receive a bit more clarity on an appropriate accounting approach soon. I did note from listening to the recent uh, board meeting that pollutant pricing mechanisms were often tagged with other intangible issues. So I think one question for the board is whether they want and are able to take on a big intangibles classification and measurement project, or whether they just focus on some targeted areas like the accounting for carbon certificates, but if they do take a project on, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to provide some input into their thinking.
0: OK, I'm sure you're not the only one, Claire, that's looking forward to that opportunity. And um, I think it'll be quite interesting to see how they respond to that agenda consultation and, and how they take it forward, especially, as you say, with all the interest in, um, in, in green matters at the moment, um, not least from ourselves. So I think um, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, so I just wanted to say to Claire and Tom, thank you both for sharing your thoughts um, around emissions. And um, to all our listeners, thank you for listening. As always, stay safe and happy accounting.
1: The preceding programme was brought to you by Price Waterhouse Coopers LLP.
2: This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.